The lesson for tonight is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the plantings of the Lord, to display his glory. And they shall build up ancient ruins, and they shall rise up the former devastations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make them an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples, and all who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. And I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and the garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Let us pray. Lord God, you come to us in majesty and glory, proclaiming good news to those who are oppressed. Let that message be in our hearts and in our lives. Amen. All three lessons this Advent season have been from Isaiah. Again, we have a message from the third Isaiah, that's chapters 56 to 66. And it's the return of those people who were taken from Israel and put in exile in the Babylon time. And the returnees are coming back, but they're not finding what they thought they would find. So, we have Isaiah's anointed, is sent to the oppressed, to the ones whose hearts are crushed, to the captives, the imprisoned, and those who mourn. In order to reach those people, God's anointed must confront those who oppress, those who make people marginalized, make people hopeless, and have people in despair. The comfort of the anointed one is to provide 
in Jerusalem a change, a change the way the people look at themselves, the way they are regarded by others, and the way they act. That's the liberty. Proclaim liberty. That language is the year of jubilee. The jubilee property and people as held as payment for debts are returned to the families to which they originally belonged. And Isaiah 61 indicates that that liberty is going to be permanent with God's anointed. The Jubilee year was rare. It came only every 50 years. And God's anointed is to announce that liberation is now. God's appointed is to proclaim the year of God's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. But we know, we know that our God is a God full of grace and that judgment from God is never simply punishment. And so we get in Luke the text of preparing the way of the Lord, make straight that which is crooked, that it may be set right. The year of Jubilee, then, is a restoring of all people the way we as people were meant to be in God's eyes. And that year of Jubilee is given to all humankind, the just and the unjust, the righteous and the sinful alike. That's good news. But that's not the good news of the gospel. The good news of the Christmas gospel is that Jesus has come so that God's favor rests on all people, no exceptions. So Christ's mission is the church's mission because Christ promised that we, the church, would do greater works than what he has done. So as we look at Advent, we know that this means then the good news should be preached to the poor. The brokenhearted should be healed. The captives should be set free. The mourning should be comforted. The despairing shall, should be given the grace of God. In today's chaotic world, Christians need to commit to that revival of Christ's mission. Luke tells the story of this part of Isaiah. Jesus goes into the synagogue at Nazareth. He attends the Sabbath service, and upon the reading it, he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. After Jesus reads that text in Nazareth, he hands the scroll back to the 
attendant and it's put black in its place, Jesus sits down and he preaches. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus names himself as the anointed. And the people aren't upset. They like what he hears. But then, Jesus tells two stories in the Old Testament where God's favor is not on Israel, but upon those outside of Israel. And when Jesus teaches that God's grace is for all people, the crowd goes bonkers, and they threaten to throw him off the cliff. So what do we do with this text? Who is this text written for? It's easy to assume that this text is for us and that we are the ones oppressed. But it's a good question. Luke's Gospel. The pregnant teenager Mary, the mother of Jesus, praises God in the Magnificat, starting out with her own humble position, but ending with the phrase, brought down the rulers from their thrones and lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. Our Christian mission, sometimes it might have to be political. Two stories. The first story is about the Emperor Theodosius the Great and the Bishop Ampros of Milan, 340 to 397. Theodosius went into Thessalonica and he slaughtered 7,000 people. Ambrose, the bishop, prevented the emperor from entering the church. And it's recorded, this saying, You must not be dazzled by the splendor of the purple that you wear. How could you lift in prayer hands which are stained with the blood of such just massacre. Go away and do not add to your guilt by committing a second crime. The Emperor Theodosius submitted to the rebuke, in tears returned to his palace. Thirty days later, he was allowed to worship again. About that same time, St. Basile the Great served as bishop of Caesarea in Turkey. He spoke like Mary's Magnificat. The emperor Valens tried to intimidate him. He sent Modestus to Caesarea, where he confronted the frail bishop Bastille. He said, if you do not submit, we will confiscate we will exile, we will torture, and we will bring death. Bastille stood firm, and Modestus remarked, 
that no one have ever spoken to him so rashly. Which Bastille replied, Perhaps you've never met a bishop before. Bastille's life. He was one of ten children born to a wealthy family. His sister Macrina challenged him about his life and his love for wealth and his worldly ambition, saying you are puffed up with the pride of oratory. So Bastille set aside some time, and he read the Gospels, and he saw the meaning of the reaching of perfection of faith by selling one's good and sharing them with the poor and giving up all care for this life. He changed. He became a pastor, a theologian, a writer, an administrator, but always he was remembered as the one who stood for the oppressed, the brokenhearted, those with a spirit of despair. He took his power and he excommunicated people who owned houses of prostitution. He objected to usury and unjust taxes. And during a famine, during the years of 367 to 368, he sold his family's inheritance and he fed the starving. Bishop Bastille built hospitals to care for the sick, houses for the strangers, places for the poor. Those changes were so effective that the pagan emperor Julian, who was a classmate of Bastille's, modeled his own welfare after the Christians. Bastille often did menial work in the kitchens. He objected to, be, to the distinction between Jews and Christians. He objected between the objections of rich and poor. And he said, don't we all have the same digestive system? He blasted in his sermons those people who hoarded wealth while the poor starved, He adorned their houses with luxurious finery while the neighbors wore tattered rags. He objected to those who let their corn rot in granaries that it could have been eaten to help the poor. And he said, What kind of punishment do you think is deserved by a man who passes the hungry without giving them a sign? Advent. Mary and Jesus, Ambrose and Bastille lived their lives and spoke to us about God's heart. They raised their voices in protest and they gave their compassionate care to the weak and those on the margins of society. They signaled the advent of God's kingdom and a reversal of what was normal. Amen.